What if you were to try to follow every single rule in the Bible for a year? That was the quest of author A.J. Jacobs, who wrote one of the more entertaining books I've read recently called The Year of Living Biblically, One Man's Humble Quest to Follow the Bible as Literally as Possible. It is the story of Jacob's attempt to live by every rule in the Bible for an entire year, to live what he calls the ultimate biblical life. Jacob's is Jewish, but Jewish, he says, in the way that the Olive Garden is Italian, uh, which is to say fairly nominal. But in the year of living biblically, he takes on all the rules of the Bible. He identifies about 700 commandments, laws, or rules, and he sets out to learn and to live by them. He obeys the famous ones, the Ten Commandments, love thy neighbor, be fruitful and multiply. He and his wife get pregnant and have a baby during the writing of the book but also the hundreds of often ignored rules. Do not wear clothes of mixed fiber. Do not shave your beard. He even trots out a sheep around Times Square. That's the picture on your bulletin cover this morning, in case you were wondering. And his book is filled with scenes, uh, like walking down some New York street in a shepherd's robe, strumming a ten-stringed harp, or throwing small stones at random suspected sinners or eating crickets and burning myrrh each morning. On the very first day of this experiment, he writes this. From the moment I wake up, the Bible consumes my life. I can't do anything without fearing I'm breaking a biblical law. Before as I so much inhale or exhale, I have to run through a long mental checklist of the rules. It begins when I open my closet to get dressed. The Bible forbids men to wear women's clothing, So that comfortable Dickinson College sweatshirt is off limits. It was originally my wife's. The Bible says to avoid wearing clothes of mixed fiber, so I have to mothball my poly cotton t-shirts. I go to my living room, click on my power book, and open my biblical rules file. But wait, am I even allowed to use my computer? The Bible, as you may have guessed, doesn't address this issue specifically. So I give it a tentative yes. Maybe sometime down the road, he says, I could try stone tablets. Now, in the same genre and more recently, uh, the evangelical writer, uh, Rachel Held Evans, wrote a similar book about her experiment to follow all the rules in the Bible, but the rules that pertain to women in the Bible. It's a book she called A Year of Biblical Womanhood, subtitled How a Liberated Woman Found Herself Sitting on Her Roof, Covering Her Head, and calling her husband master. Now, in this endeavor, uh, Held Evans makes all of her own clothes, covers her head, obeys her husband, rises before dawn, abstains from gossip, remains silent in the church, and even camps out in the front yard. Because of certain purity laws, she can't touch her husband for two weeks out of the month. She addresses her husband as master for a week, even on the tags on the Christmas gifts that she gave him to Dan, master. She praises her husband at the city gates, which it says to do in Proverbs 31. And so she holds a big sign that says, Dan is awesome, at the welcome sign to their town of Dayton. She sits on the roof because, as Scripture says, better to sit on a rooftop than to live with a quarrelsome wife. Both Jacob's and Held Evans' accounts are funny and poignant memoirs about encountering the Bible. Um, And they gain wisdom and insight throughout their experiences um, in these books. But they also reveal the impossibility 
of keeping all the biblical laws perfectly at one time. And ultimately, in a sense, the limitation of the laws, or at least the limitations of the way that we approach them. Uh, Take, for instance, this morning's first reading from Exodus, the Ten Commandments. Um, We not only struggle to keep the Ten Commandments, we also struggle to remember which they are and which order they go. It's hard to keep the Ten Commandments. Not taking the Lord's name in vain, not swearing, honoring your parents, remembering the Sabbath, not coveting, wishing you had what someone else has. We hear those commands again in the first reading in the Exodus and we think to ourselves, "Uh uh-oh. And even the rules that we feel pretty safe on, you shall not murder. That's an easy one, right? Well, Martin Luther goes on to explain the meaning of that in the small catechism. He says... We should fear and love God so that we do not hurt or harm our neighbor in his body, but help and support him in every physical need. Martin Luther expands what this commandment means for us. So if we didn't already fall short, we do now. Thank you, Martin Luther. But more broadly, when it comes to the law, uh, we all struggle with pride and anger and lust and envy and greed. And they're like old acquaintances we'd rather not run into, but always seem to keep turning up in our lives. Often, in trying to avoid one sin, we commit another. Um, we wonder what all this does to our relationship with God, if anything, and if it all matters. And we don't often pray about it, because we don't want to let God know that we know that God knows that we know that God knows. And so we wind up going through life like Jacob's with this sort of quiet obsession about whether we have done enough or too much, whether we are living a good life, the life that God wants us to live. And this is nothing new. Um, When he was a monk, Martin Luther was completely obsessed about the rules in the Bible. He would keep track of every little transgression and confess those to his spiritual director to the point where his spiritual director finally told him, Luther, get over it, move on. Um, And in the process, Luther discovered that that was no way for a monk or anybody else to live. And so he reinterpreted the way that we think about the law. Uh, First, he says, the first use of the law, the rules in the Bible, are for good order. You shall not steal, commit adultery, murder. All these are good laws and lead to better lives and a better and safer world. The law, he says, is a gift from God, and we seek to follow it the best that we can, though imperfectly. Secondly, and more importantly, the law, all these rules, they drive us to the gospel. Because despite all our efforts to keep these commandments, we fail, and we fail gloriously. Uh, In a single day, no, a single hour, we break countless commandments and teachings of Jesus. It's simply impossible to keep all the rules all the time. We can't even keep the Ten Commandments, let alone the other 690 rules. And so the second use of the law is to drive us to Jesus to the good news that even though we screw up, we are forgiven and redeemed and saved from our sin and saved from obsessing over the law. Uh, One of my old seminary professors has said that the chief function of the law is not to show us an easy way to heaven, which with a little hard work we can reach, but to show us our sin, how infinitely far we are from heaven, from God and our neighbor. The Christian life, he says, like baptism, goes from drowning to rising, from death to resurrection, from confession of sin to forgiveness. Thus, Luther writes against those who think the commandments are easy and who therefore think they have, all, they have time to fulfill God's counsels. They fail to see that no one is able to keep even one of the Ten Commandments as it ought to be kept. He writes, whatever else we do with the Ten Commandments, 
we can do nothing worse than to ignore their main function, to put us to death by showing our sin and driving us to the one place where there is hope, to the gospel. For it is in Jesus Christ alone, he says, that we have our hope. The commandments, the laws, the rules are not a how-to program of how to get into heaven. Rather, they are like a mirror to us that show us who we really are and where we really stand, and that is in utter need of God's grace. They also show us that when we finally stop trying to be perfect, because we're not, and when we finally stop trying to please everyone, which we can't, when we stop obsessing over our sin and the law, ours and others, and trying to earn God's love, when we stop talking and start listening, stop busying ourselves and are just still, what we are finally left with is not a sense of our own personal failure or desolation. What we are left with is a compassionate God who, despite our sin and our shortcomings and our human brokenness, relentlessly and forever loves us. In our gospel today, we hear the story of Jesus turning over the market tables in the temple. And this event happens early on in John's gospel. In the other gospels, it happens toward the end of Jesus' life, and with some implication that that's one of the reasons for his arrest, trial, and crucifixion. But here in John, it is an early preview of what Jesus can and will do in his ministry. In a sense, when Jesus turns over the tables, he's not just railing against the commodification or the commercialization of religious practice. He is taking on an entire system of fulfilling the law and ritual obligation, a system that often declared some people pure and others not. Here, Jesus points out the limitations of the law itself. And so as he does this, people ask Jesus, as they often did, by what authority do you do this? It says, then the Jews said to him, what sign can you show us for doing this? And Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, the temple has been under construction for 46 years and you will raise it in three days? But he was speaking of the temple of his body, John says. He was talking about his own death and resurrection. And in a sense, here today, this morning, In the scripture, Jesus again turns over the tables of our lives. All of our striving to earn our salvation, the little deals we make with God, our little mental and spiritual checklists, our eternal balance sheets, all our little spiritual superstitions, he turns them over because we are saved in the end, not by what we have done or left undone, our ability to recite and to keep all the laws as if we could, but we are saved through Christ and by God's grace alone. What we find is these commandments, as great and as important as they are, are not the end-all and be-all for us. They are just the beginning, the beginning of a life in Christ, the beginning of a life of grace. Amen.